a question before we start going. Um, I'm kind of an energy guy. Uh, I preach with energy. If you guys give me energy, uh, which means I want to talk with you, which means I talk, you talk back. Uh, I say something that resonates in your soul that hits you real deep. You give me an amen. You give me a yes. You give it a preach it dark kid. You give me a... <laughs> I mean, give me something. Just let me know you're with me. Um, so we're going to practice. So say I'm here preaching, and I say something deep like, Chick-fil-A is the greatest restaurant in the world. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, that sounds good. Uh, here's an awkward turn for you question. Has uh, seeing a dead body ever made you realize your privilege? That's how you shut a room up. Uh, look, I know what time it is in America. I, I know the demographic of the room. I, I know how hot that word is. But we're going to ask that question one more time. Has seeing a dead body ever made you realize your privilege? Yes. Uh, I want to redeem that word. Um, I want to realize and reflect on our privilege. Because if there's anything I've learned in four and a half years at Ozark, is that the privilege is really real. And uh, it's really realized while you're staring at a dead body. So what I want to do to start off is I want to take us off to a certain scene, uh, a murder scene for some people. Uh, for others people, it's a place of privilege. And there are three men at this place of privilege. Uh, and I sat them down in, prep, in preparing for this and I asked them, hey, uh, tell me about this time that you realized your privilege. Uh, reflect back on your time. And so the first guy sat him down at the coffee table and he says, well... Uh, I, I, I probably should have been punished a few times in my life. Um, I definitely expected punishment to come too. And I found myself free. So I walked, you know, started walking home. And I noticed a crowd over to the side of me. I see a dead body in the middle of them, but I didn't bat an eye. I just kind of kept looking forward. And then it hit me. I realized that, hmm, better him than me. Sounds like privilege to me. Uh, so I sat at the second guy down and I said, hey, tell me, tell me about this time. Tell me about your privilege you realized. And he says, well, I gave him the final blow. I took the life out of him. I knew it was a shady situation. I could barely look at the body as it lay there. Uh, but then as, with me looking back and forward, I kind of thought, hmm, glad I got a system that backs this so I can do it without repercussions. That's privilege. But there's a third kind. There's a third guy that I sat down and talked to, and he said, well, I got about as close to the body as they let me get. About as close as they let me get. And I sat there and I stared at it. I gazed at it until they finally took it home. And as I'm sitting there staring and gazing at it, I realized that we've beheld his glory, uh, full of grace and truth. Moses gave the law, but from this guy, we got grace upon grace. Uh, no one's ever seen God. But this guy, this lifeless body, this man right here, he's the one that's made Jesus known. Um, when John looked back on that time that he was looking up at the body of Jesus Christ, he realized that he had been given a spiritual privilege. Uh, what's the spiritual privilege? It's seeing God's glory and really knowing him for who he is. And so here all of us on this side of the cross, on this side of Pentecost, uh, by the help of the Holy Spirit in our prayer, in our meditation, in our scripture reading, in our worship, we have the privilege of seeing the glory of God in the corpse of Christ. Uh, we have this spiritual privilege. Uh, look at someone next to you and tell them, hey, you've got spiritual privilege. Uh, look, look at them again and say, I've got spiritual privilege. 
Uh, everyone say, we've got spiritual privilege. Uh, we don't sound too convinced. I'll spend a few minutes convincing you guys of spiritual privilege. Uh, one of the uh, best ways to show someone of their spiritual privilege is to show them something that no one, is show them stuff that people have never had. Uh, and there are some really great people in the history of the people of God who have, did not get the privilege that we have today. Uh, let's uh, go over to Egypt. Uh, climb, up on Mount, uh, climb up on Mount Sinai and peek in on Moses and God's conversation. Uh, you've got Moses, the mighty man of God. Led Israel out, led Israel out of Egypt, gave him water from a rock, made it rain bread. Moses. And he's talking to God. He's worried. And he's saying, God, hey, I need to know if I can trust you, Lord. I need to know, I, I just need a sign from you. He said, show me your glory. Show me your heart. Show me what makes you beautiful. Show me the real you. Now it's Moses after all, so you would expect that this guy with his credentials would get a yes, right? And God says, eh, mm, I won't show you my glory, but I'll tell you about it. So you meet me behind this rock. I'll cover your eyes and I'll tell you who I really am. And so God puts Moses behind a rock. And in Exodus 34, uh, verses 6 and 7, he says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children, children's children to the third and fourth generation. Moses heard God's glory, but he never saw it. Let's try one more. You've got David. Uh, travel on over to Jerusalem and you'll, you'll go to the temple courts and they've got this massive worship session. You think you've seen something in Passion? You think you've seen something at Hillsong Conference? You think you've seen worship sessions? You have not seen a worship session until you've been in Jerusalem with David. And so you've got David leading the whole kingdom in worship and they're singing these songs and they're singing of God's glory. And in Psalm 103, and in Psalm 103 he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He made known his ways to Moses. He acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He won't always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. David sang of God's glory, but he never got to see it either. We'll try one more guy, I guess. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Of all people, this man should have been someone to see in God's glory. And so here Isaiah is, he's in Jerusalem himself, telling the uh, people about these God dreams he's having, these visions, these, these miraculous things God's showing him. You'd think of all people, Isaiah would be the one to have seen God's glory. And so Isaiah's on his soapbox, people gathered around, and he's reciting to them things as he'd seen. And he says in Isaiah, verse, in Isaiah chapter 40, he says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be filled up and every mountain will be made low. The uneven ground will become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. He spoke of a day where he could see God's glory, but he never saw it either. Uh, but that day ended up coming. Uh, Jesus steps on the scene. And three years these disciples are walking with Jesus and he's talking about glory's coming. Here comes glory. Glory's coming. And the night before he was about to die, he says, this death I'm about to die, this hour, this is the hour of glorification. This is when you all will see God's glory. Now, Jesus, not, not when you're coming, not, not when you overthrow the Roman Empire. 
not when you start killing people, but in your death is when we see your glory? He's like, yeah, that's it. And here we are next to John in this place of privilege. Uh, the body of Jesus is hanging up there high. Uh, some people saw the body of Jesus and thought it was just that, a dead body. But we who are on this side of the cross know that what we see are words. Uh, what we see are the words that were spoken to Moses. What we see are the words that were echoed through the Psalms. What we see are the words that Isaiah spoke of. We see those words uh, written in a language that we can finally understand now. Uh, they're fleshed out on the cross. Jesus is right there, arms wide open, heart fully exposed in the moment of ultimate self-disclosure. And we see his glory shine through that dead body. And what they heard of, we saw. Uh, Moses heard that he was Moses heard that he was gracious and compassionate, but we see it in that he willingly came on that cross. Uh, there were people there who didn't know they needed help, and the ones who knew they needed help didn't know where to get help from, so they didn't ask for it, but Jesus willingly came. Uh, we see this uh, gracious and compassionate uh, nature of God in that he willingly comes to us in our darkest hour. He willingly comes to us in our time of shame. He willingly, willingly comes to us in our time of sin. Uh, Moses heard that he was gracious and compassionate, but we see it in that he was willing. Uh, you go on a little bit more. David heard that he was slow to anger, uh, but we see that he's slow to anger in the tender nature that he had on the cross. Uh, hanging on the cross, he, he saw the absence of Peter. He saw the nine seats at the foot of that cross that his disciples should have been sitting in. He saw the Roman soldiers. He looked into the future and he saw you. He saw the sins you were to commit. He saw you scheme and sin in your heart. He saw you previous of your skin, sin. And with the tender voice, he still said, Father, forgive him. And in the moments of your darkness with the tender voice, he says, Father, forgive them. Uh, David heard that he was slow to anger, but we actually see it in that he had a tender voice. Uh, and Isaiah Isaiah heard that he overflowed with steadfast love and uh, with steadfast love and faithfulness, and we see it in that he stayed. He stayed on the cross. Show yourself king. Show yourself powerful. Show yourself mighty. Get down from there. He could have gotten down at any moment, but it's that overflow of steadfast love and compassion that he stayed. And here you are in your darkness. Here you are in your down days. Here you are when you don't want to do anything. Here you are when you don't know if he's that worth it. Here you are running away and he stayed. David heard that he overflowed with steadfast love and faithfulness, but we see it and that he stayed. You guys convinced yet? If you're convinced, let me hear it. I got privilege. I got privilege. There we go. I got privilege. Say it one more time. One more time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Here we are on this side of the cross. And we see what David couldn't see. We see what Moses never saw. We see what Isaiah never saw. And we get to gaze at the glory of God in the cross, in the dead corpse of Jesus Christ. That's what we've got now. This spiritual privilege. Uh, but this, this privilege comes with benefits. So there are two quick benefits I want to talk about. Um, and in these benefits, there are two groups of people I want to talk to with these benefits. Uh, the first group of you I want to talk about are the ones who are anxious about with the question, who will I be? That's the first group we're going to talk about. Uh, and the second group I want to talk to are you who are worried with the question of where will I go? Uh, who will I be? Where will I go? That's who we're going to talk to. Uh, so first we're going to go with who will I be? Uh, if you're the average Bible college student, you're probably pretty darn anxious about who you will be in the future. Uh, will I be a good youth minister? 
Will I be a good preacher? Will I be a good uh, missionary? Will I be a good educator? Will I be a good social justice person? Will I, will I, will I, will I, will I? And it's anxious. It leads you to anxiousness. And then out of that anxiousness, anxiousness, you try to make yourself as someone that you've seen successful so you can be satisfied with yourself. Ah, uh, if I could just kind of be like Shane Wood, I'd be all right with going to do social justice. Ah, uh, if I could be Michael DeFazio, I'd be all right with going out there into ministry. Ah, uh, if I could be as beautiful as Mark Scott, I'd be all right with preaching. Uh, <laughs> stop. And so we try to make, in this pursuit of being someone we're satisfied with, we try to make ourselves out to be someone who appears to be successful. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting and it's out of our reach. Not everyone in this room can pull off glasses the way Michael DeFazio does it. We just can't do it. I found in my own life that I'm actually short of breath at times when I'm anxious on, okay, will I be a good preacher? Will I be a good preacher? God, I don't know if I'm going to be a good preacher. God, I don't even know if I can preach. God, have I ever preached in my life? God, God, I don't know if I can do this. God, okay, okay. Breathe, Jerron. Breathe, Jerron. I need to do something. I need to do something. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a list of the 10 best preachers and I'm just going to be them all. So we've got Tim Keller. Okay, I've got to make myself smart and go bald. Um, okay, okay. We've got Mark Scott over here. i got to do that thing he does where he actually actually hits you sideswipe, but you don't know what he's talking about, but you do know what he's talking about, and then you're convicted. Okay, I'm going to do that. Uh, uh, Randy Garris makes me cry, so I'm going to try to be like Randy Garris. Okay. Uh, I'm going to be all of these people at one time, and then I'll just be okay, and it's absolutely exhausting. And I hear myself running and running, and I see myself anxious and anxious, and I can't help but hear the voice of God cry and say, chill, chill out. There's something better for you. Oh, what's better for you is that we'll be who we see. Oh, and I'm trying to be the best preacher. I'm trying to be the best youth minister. I'm trying to be as good as Michael, uh, Michael DeFazio. God's telling me, hey, you can be someone greater. You can be like me. Uh, in Exodus uh, 34, and after that chapter, after Moses gets rejected from seeing the face of God, God lets Moses uh, come in his general direction, his general area. And what would happen is he would go in this room with God, not look directly at him, and his face would kind of radiate God's glory a bit. He'd come out with a little bit of residue of God's glory. And the people would see that and say, wow, your face, it's too bright. Put a mask on. Okay, you're good. Uh, Moses' face would radiate God's glory. But 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says that when we behold the face that Moses never got to see, our hearts are transformed into that same kind of glory. Uh, When we stare at the beauty of God, we become beautiful ourselves. Uh, When we stare at the goodness of God, we become that good ourselves. Gracious, compassionate, full of steadfast love and mercy and faithfulness. That's who we become. We'll be who we see. And so I want to tell you, In your times of anxiousness of who will I be, who will I be, who will I be, you have the privilege of staring at the face of God and becoming that. That's your first privilege. Uh, That's your first benefit. And the second one, the people were asking the question, where will I go? Uh, Some of us are terrified to make the next step in life. Amen? Yeah, we are. Uh, Some of us haven't even made that next step because we have no clue in which direction to step. And so we're sitting here crippled with the questions. What will I do? Where will I go? How will it work out? When will I go? What, where, how, when? What, where, how, when? What, where, how, when? And we're sitting here and we're crippled and we're crippled and we're crippled. I want to remind you that you know who. You know exactly who's going with you. 
Uh, but I don't want to just stop there and remind you of who's going with you. And I don't want to just uh, take you in your time of worry and remind you. I want to take you in your time of worry and worship in this God who actually is going with you. Uh, understand when you are worried about the what, the where, the how, the when, you can go to the face of the cross and understand that there's a good God that's going to go with you. There's a good God that's with you right now and he won't leave you alone. This is God who's gracious. This is God who's compassionate. This is God who's uh, faithful. This is a God who has mercy. This is the God who is with you right now. And understand, some of you say, okay, I know this good God, he's with me right now, and you know, I know he's good right now, but I'm kind of worried about who he's going to be when we get there. I don't know if he's going to be kind of distant and leave me to just kind of figure it out on my own. Uh, I don't know if he's going to play the saw game with me and put me out in ministry and say, let's play a game. You've got 10 years to figure out youth ministry or you're dead. (laughs) Is that who God's going to be? We think, well, God, who are you going to be? Understand, you can look at the cross and see the God who was good then is going to be, the God who was good back then is the God who's going to be good up then. That's not a phrase. Is the God who's going to be good in the future. And not only is this God going to be good, this God's going to be for you. That's the catchphrase. Is he going to be for me? Yes, he's going to be for you. If you want proof of if he's going to be for you, just look back at his track record. Uh, This is a God in the book of Exodus who tore down a nation for his people. This is the God who split the sea open for his people. This is the God who made it rain bread out of the sky every morning for his people. This is the God who made bread, I mean who made a rock, a water fountain for his people. This is the God who sent his son for his people. This is the God who sent his son to die on a cross for his people. Won't this God who sent his son for his people send all things for his people in the future? In your darkest days, won't this God send you comfort? When you're confused, won't this God send you wisdom? When you're lost, won't this God send you guidance? That's the God who's for you, church. That's the God who's for you. And so here's the moment where I'm going to ask you to talk back to me. Could we praise God for about five seconds on how good he's been for us? Just hand clap. That was 10 seconds, but all right. I guess 10 seconds was all right. Hey, I look out and I see a privileged people. A people who embraces their privilege. They look and they see the glory of God. They know his heart. And they're transformed into his likeness and they rest in his goodness. Amen? Amen. Could you guys stand? Uh, Ben, could you guys come back and make my prayer sound spiritual or something? (laughs) God, uh, thank you for this sight that you've given us. Thank you for this glory that we're able to behold now, Lord. I ask that this glory be our privilege every day when we wake up and know that I get to stare at the face of God. I get to see his beauty. I get to see his true heart. In our times of anxiousness, Lord, I ask that your glory give us rest. In our times of worry, I ask that your glory give us rest. We love you, God. Amen.